Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to episode 164 with my guest, Natasha L. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Two hours of honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Please go there. Join the forum. There's a gazillion issues you can post on or read about. You can take surveys, you can read how other people have filled out surveys, you can support the show, you can read blogs, um, or you can sit with your thumb in your ass and uh, stare at the wall, see how that grabs you. Ah, Paul, why are you swinging right out of the gate? Why? Because I'm scared. Because I'm a scared human being. I'm a scared little boy in a man's world. That was the name of my first album. This... uh, before we get to the interview, I want to read a couple of uh, surveys. You know, I love me some struggle in a sentence. This is from that survey. This first one is filled out by a um, young girl who's between 10 and 15. Uh, her name is Peanut, and about her depression, she writes, I feel like I'm a child in the safe end of a pool, and I keep swimming to the deep end and going down in the water to see how far I can go without suffocating. About her anxiety. They hate me, they hate me, and they're lying, and I hate me, and I can't feel my face, and I can't stop shaking. I just want to give her a hug. About her OCD, touching things repeatedly, doing everything in fours or tens so I don't have to deal with my past again. Wow, you sound pretty self-aware, Peanut, um, about your issues. That's a good sign. That's a really good sign. Hopefully you'll uh, you'll see somebody that that can help you. This is the uh, same survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Liz Lowe. She is uh, in her 20s about her anxiety, feeling like a crazy person. I feel like everyone must think I'm making a big deal out of nothing, but I can't stop the thoughts and feelings. About her codependency, constantly belittling my feelings and feeling selfish for having them in the first place. 
putting all my energy into worrying about what other people think and feel and how I can cater to them. About um, uh, sexual bias. I don't know how or why this started, but I am constantly surprised when I meet a guy that seems sincere and genuine. And about her anger issues. Feeling of wanting to scream at the top of my lungs and strangle someone when they completely disregard or misunderstand my attempt to share my feelings and makes, and they make the situation all about themselves. Thank you, Liz. This is uh, from Nicole, who's in her 20s, about being a sex crime victim. My abuse makes me feel very fragmented, like a fraud, a kid trying to walk around in their parents' shoes. I don't feel big enough strong enough or mature enough to fill those shoes but have to pretend like I am thank you this is filled out by Jamie she's in her 20s about her love addiction I was sure I'd find the fulfillment I was looking for in other people but I keep finding that the world inside my own head is so much better I think a lot of us really relate to that one This is filled out by a guy who calls himself hardly driven. He's in his 40s about his anxiety. Repetitive thoughts of people I worked with five plus years ago. They must still be talking about me. I'm sure. (laughs) That's an awesome one. Um, This is filled out by Samantha. She's in her 20s about her depression. Every day feels like another rerun of the same gray sad story where tomorrow is meaningless and the good people and things in my life are just obligations that cause me guilt and weigh me down instead of helping me cope like they're supposed to. About being a sex crime victim, a constant battle to find ways to heal and feel empowered in a world in which it constantly blames me for the heinous acts, heinous acts of my abuser and makes excuses for the acts of violation that I and so many like me have suffered about her perfectionism, a daily struggle in which I drag my feet about, starting or doing anything at all for fear of failing, which causes me to do nothing until the very last minute when I am overcome with dread and anxiety that I will not finish or will not create anything of value and I will have no one to blame but myself. Wow, I really relate to that one. And then I want to read this thing from a a listener who calls uh, himself Scott And he just summed this up so well, I wanted to read it. He writes, Mental illness is like an unwanted pregnancy. Occasionally, you feel it kick inside of you. A feeling that reminds you that something is in you, that something is a part of you that is not you and has a mind of its own and kicks whenever it fucking wants. There is no morning after pill for mental illness. Instead, you have to take care of it, sometimes satisfying its outrageous demands just to get it to shut the hell up. I mean, you're out in public for fuck's sake. Stop making a scene. And if you're very lucky, even have a moment when, where you are alone, where mental illness is, for a moment, sleeping, a rare period where it isn't pulling on your pant leg and crying, I want this now. Hang in there. One day it might move out, only ever seeing you for holidays and funerals. Oh God, I wish I didn't need to take meds. Flat out fucking auditory hallucinations. I would literally wake up running from my bed. I'm afraid that I'll pass my anger on to my son. I thought the gunman was my father. Afraid of not being able to make a living. Um, that's probably going to break his heart if he hears it, but that's that's the truth. They committed him to Bellevue. There was this fear that if I feel this pain, I wish someone could see what was going on and just help me, that it will kill me and I will die and I will drown. You can't think your way out of a thinking problem. And I cried the way that a baby cries. I cried like an animal. 
makes me so mad at myself that I do that. The burden of perfectionism. And that's when I got to therapy. Let's talk about that. So I was like, fuck it, I'm alive. I don't give a shit about anything. You are a shining example of what is best about human beings. I'm worried that the uh, Russian militia is coming over the hill. I know that, uh, but uh, Alice, how you feeling? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> like I'm here with Natasha, who is uh, a listener, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, she contacted me, and there was just some elements to your story that that I was like, you know, I don't, I don't think we've delved into that with a with a guest yet. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought, yeah, let's sit down and and let's record something. So let's start from where you were raised, and, and how, can I ask how old you are? I'm 43. Okay. Um, where were you born and raised? How many siblings? I know you had a sister. Yes, I was. Um, I was born in Oklahoma, but we only lived there for nine months, and we moved a lot. Um, my dad just—he was an executive, an advertising executive, and he just would like switch jobs a lot. Um, so yeah, I moved all over until I was 11 and then we moved to Palo Alto and I have my sister. Well, he must've gotten successful, huh? Well, he was actually pretty successful the whole time. Oh, okay. And then he, um, yeah, he left, um, uh, he worked for L'Oreal, that company, uh-huh. and he left it to go into business for himself. Um, so actually Palo Alto had, it wasn't Palo Alto then. It was still nice. We always lived in a nice place, but it wasn't like it is now. Like It wasn't Silicon Valley yet. It was, but not, it, there was no Google yet. So it wasn't like millionaires everywhere. There were some. <laughs> I suppose Apple was just barely there too. I don't think it was. I don't yeah. remember it being there anyway. Late seventies is kind of when oh, Apple. Really? I guess. It was. I, we moved there in '81, so I guess it yeah, was. But it, it just wasn't. started. That's when, around when the first Macintosh came out. Oh wow! Yeah. yeah, I know they called it. Maybe I'm just being stupid about it. I know they called it Silicon Valley, but it wasn't like it is now. And by the way, congratulations on beating yourself up before the two minute mark. <laughs> That's nice. We'll be giving awards out at the end of the year. Great. Yeah, I will win those. Yeah, now, there's a good chance I might win it. Oh yeah, there's a good chance. Okay. Yeah, because well, you do you it sh- more. Yeah, and in the introduction, uh, I've generally uh, beat myself oh, up before yeah. I get to the interview, so I'll be keeping that trophy. Okay, yeah. Um, you have more chances. It's not fair. I do. It is. It is not fair. <laughs> it is not fair. Uh, so, oh, yeah, and I have, my sister is my half-sister, although I didn't find that out till I was 11, but she um, is 16 years older than me, and my brother is four years older than me. And... Where would be a good place to start with your story? What are your earliest memories of, of childhood? Um, I I have very early memories of childhood, which is weird. But um, I guess a good place would be um, I taught myself how to read before I was three, like when I was around two. I like to say I peaked at two because that was like <laughs> my big thing. I never went past that. But um, and so... My mom... You were burned out by the time you were three. Yeah, you say that, but that actually factors (laughs) in here. (laughs) Uh, My mom was very um, performance-driven, accomplishment-driven, and... um, For herself and you? Yeah, a lot. Yeah, it's funny you say that, because then... Yes, both. Do you think it's why she chose your dad? um, Because he was... Sounds like he was that way 
also from what you described it almost sounds like he was a workaholic he was a workaholic how did you know that you're very good at this just because he worked i mean because he had you know successful jobs but you said he wasn't around much. He oh, was, did I already yeah, say that? Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. no, in your email to me. Oh, oh yes, yeah. that's true. Yeah, he traveled a lot. Um, so anyway, so my earliest memory, I remember, well, first I remember um, thinking she didn't know that I knew how to read. I was alone a lot. Anyway, um, I remember like looking at the symbols and trying to figure them out. And then I remember thinking, she doesn't know that I know this. So we were on a plane and I was like, maybe I'll say it out loud. And I said, E-X-I-T, exit. And she was like, oh, she was so happy. And I remember really like loving that. And then we sat down to read and it was just like, she was so impatient and critical of me. And I couldn't figure out how to say the word they. Every time I got to it, I couldn't remember how to say it. And she was like, well, just forget it. If you're not going to get it this time, then we're just going to stop. And you were two? Yeah. Yeah. So that was the kind of like pressure I felt <laughs> really my whole life. Well, what was wrong with you that you couldn't pronounce that? It's <laughs> a good question. <laughs> she should have asked me that. Then we could have explained. Maybe it was the cabin pressure. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, that wasn't even on the airplane yet. That's but, astounding that you were able to teach yourself a word like exit at at two, and even more astounding that your mom was so unempathic. Yeah. Well, she was. It was just very much like um, you could never do good enough. But then sometimes you could. But then it was very quickly, you know obvious that that was never going to be good enough she sounds like a really fear-driven person she was she's passed away now as Mm -hmm. you know but um there oh my god so much fear like i mean she was like riding on anxiety all the time it was yeah so i imagine what the neighbors thought was of huge importance to her you know i would she hid that very well it wasn't um obvious to me she had also a very like you can say no that wasn't the case I w- well my, no my, no I won't well be offended. the reason why i'm saying i wish i guess we can bring up now that she passed away and i found her diary so from reading which is those, one of the reasons why i wanted to interview right. you yeah. <laughs> so in reading those i found out that she did it was it was uh, it did matter to her what other people thought and how everything looked and how much she was always stressing about money, which I didn't know because we always, I thought, had a lot of money. Um, Were you living above your means? Uh, yes, which I didn't know. And whose choice was that, your mom or your dad's? My mom. My dad was, according to these diaries, was always very concerned about it and wanted to cut back. And she was sending my sister to like the Swiss Alps to ski. And I mean, in our house, we lived in mansions pretty i mean they were at least to me they were very we started to by the time we moved to palo alto it got smaller and smaller um but i spent a lot of time alone in huge houses (laughs) which made me not care about money and made me think like i never i always envied my friends who lived in apartment buildings they had like their friends around yeah yeah I feel like it's kind of to my detriment now because it's like, well, 
It's okay to have money. <laughs> I can live in a house like that. Well, no. You know, I like to say, uh, of all the people I've known in my life and interviewed, I've never met anybody who was fucked up because they didn't have enough money as a kid. But I have met many, many people who are fucked up because there was emotional poverty. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was... Yeah. You know, people may have issues with money because they didn't have it. My wife grew up without uh, much money, and so money is very important to her, mm. but she's not materialistic. She just wants the independence of right. having her own her own money. And so that's a really important thing to her, but right. it's it's kind of a it's kind of a good thing. She's very aware of money. Maybe sometimes a little bit too much, gets a little too anxious, mm -hmm. uh, you know, wants to really play it safe like, mm -hmm. "Oh, you know, let's not you know, get that fixed this year. Let's right, wait till, right. you know, we have this. <laughs> till we're on the side next... of the road. Yeah. Um, but I, I've never met anybody who was like, I can't get over the fact that we were poor when I was a that's kid. so interesting. Yeah. That's Maybe they're out there. But... Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. I hate it. I, I, I was so isolated. I must have been really lonely. Yeah. And people telling you how awesome your life is because you got this big house. Did people yeah. tell you that? Well, no, I mean, because we were, we lived around people who had money too. Uh -huh. So it wasn't, you know, um, but as I, yeah, I just never liked it. And my, I did know, I mean, my, I would say that to my mom and she would say only people who have money say money doesn't matter. Cause I, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Um, but, and little did I know she thought she didn't have any, I mean, was, was she raised so, with a lot of money? She, well, she grew up in the depression, but they did have money. Her grandfather had a newsstand. She lived with her grandfather and I guess that was successful. So, I mean, not like super rich, but she had money and she used to say, we're not rich. We're just, um, upper middle class or something. I don't know. She was so pretentious. <laughs> what feelings so, come up as you, as you remember her and talk about her? Um, feelings. <laughs> what, are <laughs> what are those? No, How no. much do those cost? Yeah, no, it's so funny because I really do have a lot of feelings, but when I talk about her like that, I just feel like, ugh. is it tiring like more? No, it's like disgust, I guess. Like, I, especially about those things like class she was so classist and just everything i'm not maybe in reaction to her um but i hope that's not the only reason i'm not like <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah i just don't admire those qualities in her she actually i mean i i have said that like she was actually in uh, as a woman, like not as a mom, but as a woman, was very admirable. She started her own businesses. She had antiquarian bookstores. And at a time when women didn't do that, she went back to school at 30 when nobody was doing that. I mean, she was a feminist. Like, she accomplished a lot in her life. That was very admirable. Um, but she was crazy. <laughs> not fun to be raised and you by her. i think you mentioned that was she diagnosed with borderline personality disorder um, only by me but okay. i'm reading these i mean well okay so should i skip to when we found the diaries or? um well you can we can however you want to get to it okay well i think i will just say so one thing that she did was um pit us all against each other 
as family members. My growing up, my brother was crazy. I put that in quotes because that's what she used to say. My father would go crazy. Did you did you feel like your brother was was no, crazy? I didn't, but I believed her at the same time. It was like my mother's telling me this, so he's got a problem. He's got behavior. And moms issues. are right in your mind when you're a kid. Dads are right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so I did think, oh, he's off or something. He definitely had a lot of, um, to be honest, like I have also diagnosed him with Asperger's, <laughs> and I have asked my friends who work with autistic people, and I really do think he has Asperger's at this point. But That must have been horrifying to your mom, because well, for somebody who wants social fluidity in their children... Yeah, but the thing is, he was very, he is very smart. So he was accomplished, and so she liked that. And she did not have social graces, no social. So I don't think that part of it bothered her. It bothered her, he was emotional, like he would, not emotional, but he would just like act out, I guess. Um, And again, I just want to get to the diaries, because I would read about it, I was like, oh my God. Anyway, um... So she would pit us against each other. My brother was the black sheep for a while until he actually chose to go to boarding school to leave the house when I was like nine, which is why I was alone a lot. Um, and um, and then around 11, I became the black sheep for pretty much the rest of my life. And uh, What led to you becoming the black sheep? Well, I, sort, I gave up. Um, I, she put me in piano, violin, French class, acting class, like, um, flute, like I was doing all of this stuff and, um, all the time. And I finally was like, we moved to Palo Alto and I was like, I don't want to do any of this anymore. And she also gave up on me at the same time. Like it was a new place for her and she was like, well, fend for yourself. Wow, she sounds so narcissistic. Like, if you can't see the world my way, oh, yeah. I'm done. That is for sure. Complete narcissist, yes. Um, no tolerance for any differing of opinion at all. And if you tried to, you were just, I was just cut off completely. Um, Where was your dad in all this? He... It's funny because I have kind of a different perspective now, but at the time, he was kind of like my savior a lot. He would sort of, when he was around, he was very loving towards me. And I've come to realize that he married his mother, basically. His mother was very similar to mine. But he was very attentive to me when he was there, but he traveled all the time, so he wasn't there a lot. And now I'm realizing like how much more he could have done um, to really save me from Do you have her. kids? Yes, I do. How many? Two. A boy and a girl. Um, maybe this is fast forwarding, but what feelings, it would, having your own kids, is that kind of what triggered you realizing what was absent in your relationship with your dad? Or was it before you had kids? It was, no, it was actually after my mom died. I gave him a lot of credit <laughs> now that For putting I, up with her or... Being there for you? For being there for me. I think I had to, to survive. I had to believe that somebody loved me, you know, and I, and I think he does. I know he loves me, but I just kind of read into that a lot more than, 
I mean, he just, yeah. So say, say that last part again. You read what? I read into it a lot. Yeah. Just, yeah. I wanted to believe it meant more, that he cared more than I think he was capable that's of. That's such a human thing for kids to do. Even the kid that's getting beaten every day by the mm-hmm. parent will tell themselves, I deserve it. And my parent loves me and this is their way of showing me that I am a bad person. Yeah. Well, but he, I think also I was just so starved for positive attention. How would he show you? um, What were the things that that touched you that meant meant a lot to you that that he would do? Um, It was just more of a feeling like he was very, he would, well, he would play games with me. He would spend time with me when he was there. And it so, sounds like so your mom was not a fun, silly person <laughs> oh, at gosh. all. No, not at Didn't all. Didn't know how to... She was mean. I mean, she really was a mean, cold person. Um, and it was all about her. So, yeah. he He's just a lot... It's ironic because he's like English. So if you meet him, you don't think, oh, this is a very important person. <laughs> but he's different with kids. He's not very good with adults and he yeah I just felt very loved also various times in my life when well my mother would uh, abandon me he would kind of swoop in and say not to do that or like he would be there my my the I feel say like not to do that to her yeah okay. well okay so this actually makes him sound kind of terrible also but my big first memory is when I was three and um I think I'd been I don't know acting like a three-year-old all day but I remember being in my room and I was angry which is not allowed <laughs> towards my mother and she I remember her like checking in on me with my sister periodically and then they stopped checking in on me. So I went downstairs and um, she was in the kitchen. Her back was to me and she was washing dishes. And I said, I'm sorry, you know, I'm, I'm okay now. I'm here now. And she just ignored me, wouldn't turn around, wouldn't do anything. And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It just started escalating and she said, shut up, go away, just go away. And I was, by the end, I was just bawling, saying, please forgive me, please forgive me, over and over again. It's making me sad. And then my dad came in, and um, he threw a wine glass down, and he said, she's only three years old. And he left the house for, I guess, a few days. I didn't know that at the time. But my mom always referred to that day as the one of the days my dad went crazy. <laughs> <laughs> So in my mind, I was always like, oh, dad went crazy that day. And it wasn't until I started therapy and I told that story. I was like, oh, my God, he was like trying to protect me. That was kind of a fucked up way of doing it by leaving. But, you know, it sounds like his heart was in the right place. Exactly. His heart was always in the right place. He had a terrible childhood. I mean, his mother abandoned him. He had no father. I mean. We actually had a similar childhood, <laughs> except for my um, my dad's dad really did abandon him. He just wasn't there at all. I would imagine your mom had a pretty bad childhood, too. You know what's weird is I don't think she really did. No? No. And, re- and re- she kept diaries from the time she was 14 years old. So and did you find those along? Oh with yeah, everything. Really? Everything. Did you read all of them? Oh yeah. 
Well, we better get into it then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, she did not sound like a sad kid. And she did used to say that her mother didn't love her. Um, That's pretty fucked up. That is, if that's true. And you know what? That's her experience. So I can't say that wasn't true. But um, reading these diaries, there was really no indication of it. It was... It was never written about anyway. I mean, I don't want to take... I'm sure she felt that, but... um, Yeah. It certainly wasn't like if you read my diary. (laughs) Mom's not home again. You know, it wasn't... Yeah. So, um, I forgot where we were. Talking about the diaries. Oh, yeah. Um, So when she she passed away uh, six years ago? No, uh, it was a year and a half ago. Oh, a year and a half ago? Actually, just a year and a couple months ago, yeah. What what did you feel or think when she... Was it sudden? Well, it kind of... She had a heart attack the year before, and she had been recovered, and so we thought that she was actually doing better. So she wasn't healthy by any means, but it was kind of sudden. Um, And... Um, and as, so as I've been through lots of therapy and various other things <laughs> to heal myself. So I had a very, like, I had boundaries with her as an adult. Um, must have driven her crazy. You know what? She was so rejecting that she, it was fine with her. Like, it was like, well, this is our relationship now. In some ways it was good because she wasn't needy. It was just like, well, you know, yeah, she's not in my life. It Yeah, it was actually weird how quickly she (laughs) adjusted to that but um anyway so i was in shock when she died and and it was very weird to me how sad i was i mean i was like i was very very sad um and um what was what was can you be more specific about the sadness was it part of it that her life was so lonely or that you didn't get the love from her i mean i felt like i had dealt with all of that so honestly it's still very curious to me it it feels almost like it's just like your mom like someone that's known you your whole life and we did have a very symbiotic relationship for a long time before i set those boundaries and i don't know it was i i didn't understand it you know, they say that the death of a parent where there was a tumultuous and complicated relationship is often more difficult than somebody where it was kind of clear and there was oh, love. Wow. And um, because, I don't know, I don't know yeah. why because, but they just say that it that it is. And well, I wonder maybe if... maybe because of unresolved stuff I or think something. so. But I really... Didn't you didn't have any unresolved stuff. And you didn't feel any guilt, like I could have tried harder. No, yeah. I had none of that. It was just kind of like a guttural, <clears throat> excuse me, a guttural um, feeling, like my mom is gone. This just feeling of mom. It was, I, I can't explain it. But finding those diaries, let me tell you, was a good <laughs> way to A that good grief. cleanser for that sadness. Oh my God, it just was like, boom, done. I mean... Yeah. Um, So I actually went with... So my sister's 16 years older than me. She was the golden child, which is a trait of borderline personality. I mean, I read these borderline personality books, and it was like that it described her perfectly. 
pitting everyone against each other. My sister was the golden child, so um, their thinking is very black and white. You're very, either you're either my savior, you're on my team, or you're not. Yeah, yeah, you're in or you're out. That's why with the boundaries, it was just like, oh, I guess you're out. You know, I was out. So, um, and, and I should preface this too that this is. Uh, with people with untreated borderline personality disorder. Oh, right. Because there are many people that live successful emotional lives with borderline personality disorder because they become aware of what their issues are mm-hmm. and they find tools for coping with it. And there are qualities of the person with borderline personality disorder that are wonderful, that are where they're charming and they yeah. will go out of their way for you. And they're mm. funny. They're intelligent. Yeah. Um, she was l- those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're. Not, I don't want to paint them as. Um, no, this is this was very untreated. untreated. Yeah, and, and they, narcissists too. So. And they get they get a a I think they get a bad rap um, mm. because it's so misunderstood and people don't understand that they feel things so intensely mm. you know it's almost like telling somebody who's on fire quit moving around wow she definitely felt things very yeah. deeply yeah that yeah i wish she had gotten help because yeah there like i said i mean she was an amazing woman like you know accomplished and she was all those things funny very smart yeah. i mean yeah very very smart so go ahead i cut you off um oh so i went with my sister who we uh, didn't really have a relationship for, I mean, really our whole lives because we were both being told things about the other person, mm-hmm. which we found out later. I would like, she would, I would ask her things like, did you say this? And she said, no, I never, she would, my mom would actually lie to us about in order to keep us separated. Do you remember some of the things she lied about? <laughs> for Yeah. Like she would say things like, well, um, your sister thinks you wear too much makeup. <laughs> For some reason, that really stuck in my mind because then whenever I would see her, it's like my face, you know? So I was always like kind of self-conscious about... Would you wear less makeup when you knew you were going to see your no, sister? No, But it just still made me, you know... Um, and my sister said she would paint me as such a terrible person, especially when I was 15, I went through a suicidal phase and... Phase? Like, it's like... <laughs> Like yeah. Anyway, um, were <laughs> there a- a- attempts? No, and um, it really was in. It really was an attempt to get my mom to um, love me, like to just be like, okay, now it's time for you to fess up <laughs> that I'm actually okay. You know, like you think how, how would the suicidal feelings express themselves? Um. How they express themselves? Well, I mean, I was in bed all day. I was just, I felt like I was worthless. Um, I gave up in school. I was failing my classes. Um, Yeah. Must have driven your mom crazy. Oh, oh. I mean, that was really the biggest thing was finding that diary because it was like, um, I really, truly remember thinking, well, she's got to admit that she loves me. Like, then she'll warm up and she'll come to me and say, how can I help you? You know, let's, I don't want you to, I love you, you know. So by turning off your will to do things, you felt like she's (laughs) got to recognize that this is a cry for help? That that, that doesn't make sense. No. Um, Yeah, it was like, 
I was like, I'm just trying to get no, into no. your head yeah, yeah, in terms no, of know, how I'm you were joking, trying to express but, yourself. Yeah, it was like, yeah, if I give up everything because clearly performance and succeeding is what's important, then you'll see that I need help and you'll... And it was also kind of a fuck you, honestly. I was going to say, because yeah. I, I mean, you couldn't do anything more despite her. Yeah, it was both. It was like, oh, you know, you want me to be the best? Well, fuck you. Here I am, the worst. And do you still love me now? Like, no. Who, she who am I when you take all these things away? Yes, See that person. Exactly, exactly. And um, yeah, she did not like that. So, and, and so in those diaries, she would write... Um, she thinks she's worthless and she's right. She doesn't do anything. So, and that's what makes a per- person worthwhile. Is um, what they do. Yeah. And I hope wow. she does die. Like she, I mean, it was very, very. What did you think or feel when you read that? Well, and this was a year ago that you read this This was one. a year ago. That one was, I mean, I'm telling you, it was, the, it was like relief and happiness <laughs> because she never admitted it. It really was like, Oh my God, I didn't make all that up. Like it wasn't just some, um, some like poor me kind of thing. My mother doesn't love me. Oh, poor me. It was like, no, she really didn't, you know, and she really did want me to die. Like rather than be, um, alive as a person who was worthless, quote unquote. It really, I'm telling you, I was so happy because also my sister was with me when we started reading these and she had no idea because my mom was such an actor. I mean, she would put on a completely different face for her. So my sister had no idea. And when we started reading these, I was like, yes, I know. So I'm telling you, I was so <laughs> what happy. Did you, how did your sister react? She was just in shock with her mouth. You know, her jaw dropped and she was like, she was crazy. <laughs> and and she like, didn't really know it before then? She had no idea. No idea. Wow. Yeah. I actually, I feel a little bad for her because it was harder for her to process. For me, it was like, I was so happy. And I had my sister on my side. Like, my whole life, she was pit against me. What did that feel like when you... It was really nice. <laughs> It was. I mean, my sister's not a very effusive person. No one in my family, except for me, apparently, has any real feelings <laughs> that they demonstrate. Um, but so it wasn't like a love fest or anything, but it definitely was, oh, somebody's on my side and somebody sees this. And I mean, so much of it, like my mom used to tell my sister I was on drugs. She used to tell me, I mean, it was so crazy. Like one time I went out to the bank and I came back and my mom said, did you get your fix? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I And I didn't even know what that was at the time. I think I was like 14 or 15. I wasn't even sure your fix. Like, what is that? And it was like said with such disgust. And like, I was just the worst person on, in the world. And, um, so that's what she was telling everybody. I was like, look at this. None of this was true. And she, oh, it was just, it was really great. <laughs> now you know what that sound means. It's time to give our sponsor some love. And our sponsor for today's episode is Pill Pack. 
It's the online pharmacy that makes it incredibly simple to take the right medications at the right time. They deliver pre-sorted meds directly to your door. And I don't know about you, but when I get meds in the mail, it uh, it's so nice to not have to go to the pharmacy, wait in line, or the worst is you wait in line and then they say, oh, we're out of this one. I can give you two days worth, but you're going to have to come back for the rest. Uh, that's bullshit. I don't mind telling you. That's a big old pile of bullshit. So, uh, yeah, Pill Pack is awesome at, uh, at alleviating the stress and the hassle. The other thing that I like about uh, Pill Pack is that you don't have to ask yourself, did I take my meds today? Uh, I don't know about you guys, but <laughs> all the years of uh, drug abuse, smoking weed, and drinking, my memory is not the best. And uh, what I like about Pill Pack is that uh, you know if you've taken your meds for the day. They have the date on them, the time that you're supposed to take each one, and they're uh, they're sorted. And it's nice if you're going to go on the road, you can just tear off the ones that you need and um, put them in your duffel bag. I'm assuming you don't, you don't have suitcases. Um, my audience is very grounded. We're not uppity. There's no Louis Vuitton luggage for us. It's duffel bags and uh, plastic grocery bags. Uh, PillPack delivers uh, prescriptions to 33 states and non-prescriptions uh, to all 50. So uh, go check it out. You can go to uh, PillPack.com slash happy hour and get your first month free when you sign up. Um, I can't recommend it enough. I think it's awesome. So uh, again, support them, support our show. Go to PillPack.com slash happy hour and get your first month free when you sign up time to clear out all of her possessions i mean we did it in like three days just cleared everything out although it's interesting he says he has no real memory of that happening he was in such shock they were together for 55 years so it was a big it's a big loss for him um but he said you're gonna find diaries when you're doing this and um I don't want to see them. She could be very vitriolic, and I don't want to see any of that. So we were like, oh, okay. That's weird. Like, I, I Did that make you want to read the diaries? No, at the time I was like, oh, well, we should be respectful of her. But then we found, <laughs> well, we first we found this list. In the last 10 years was the only time she didn't keep a diary. And we found this list of her hypochondria. Like, she was clearly hypochondriac, and it was, like, daily, if not hourly, lists of everything that was wrong with her. Like, there's a brown spot on my hands. Maybe I got that from a pen, but I don't know. I'll, we'll check in tomorrow about it. And then the next day, it was, like, brown spot gone. It was just, like, this real, like, that's when we all, we looked at each other and we're like, oh, my God, she's she's crazy. She was crazy. Wow, but the I knew she was mean, but it was the real cruelty about me and my brother that surprised me, but also really validated for me all of the feelings that I had my whole life that she didn't admit to. I mean, like she said about my brother, she was like, he has a spot on his head. I hope it's a tumor and it's cancer and he dies when he was two. Why? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, she didn't want us, I guess. I mean, I know she, at one point she was like, she said in there, um, I wish I never had these last two children, meaning not my sister, the golden child, but me and my brother. Um, 
they're, you know, they're beautiful and intelligent and all that, but my life definitely would have been infinitely better without them. So I think she just, you know, we were... There was a resentment that it was holding her back. Oh, yes, very much so. I can't imagine how many women must feel that. Feel resentment. You know, if... I, I think the average woman that feels that resentment or that sense of loss about what they could have accomplished mm-hmm. if they hadn't had to quit their job and be at home, not that it takes away from the love they have for their husband and their kids, but it's not mutually exclusive from that sadness that yeah. I had this other dream that is just not, there's just not enough time in the day. Right. But I will say, speaking as someone who has felt that way and... About your own life. Yeah. I mean, well, meaning like I've had those thoughts like, oh, what would have happened, you know, if I didn't have kids, what would my career look like right now? Um, You can have those thoughts and people have those thoughts, but (laughs) there was no sense of it being cruel or wrong or, you know, oh, I feel the least bit guilty about these thoughts. I mean, when I've had those thoughts, I'm like... But quickly say, you know, but I love my kids. I would never want to not have my kids. And, you know, not that it's not okay to have, you know, know, that I should have to do that. But at the same time, it was just like a revel. It was just like, fuck these kids. (laughs) I hate these. I want them to die of cancer. I mean, that's like another level, you know. That's pretty intense. Yeah, that's why I really, I don't know what else was going on. I don't think that's just like borderline narcissism I, I don't know I'm not a well at least she had some hope hope that your your brother would die right <laughs> well so when she I... was a hopeful person <laughs> well it really was crazy because in the next day she'd be like the children are wonderful I mean it was like every other it, maybe she was bipolar it was like every other day it was like one extreme to the next and um the saddest thing was that my brother, she saw a psychiatrist and she said, the psychi- oh, well, he told me to tell Carl that I love him and I'm never going to leave him. And everything seems better now. <laughs> like, wow. It's like, and up until that point, it was just months, if not like a whole year of her saying how she can't stand this kid she wants him gone <laughs> she i mean terrible thoughts about how she, how could she have this kid you know did she ever experience periods of low energy and just depression no i never saw that and that, that, that i mean I, I i shouldn't even say this cuz i'm just a jackass that tells right. dick jokes but <laughs> that doesn't sound like bipolar to me no. that does sound more like something like borderline personality oh, really? borderline disorder does yeah i mean i read that book the um understanding the borderline mother and oh yeah i did too yeah and that was revelatory was you, your mom me. was borderline or is i don't know she certainly had the qualities of a borderline person she fit the mold of the martyr and she used to call oh, us yeah. martyrs all the time oh, all the time yeah. wow yeah like yeah, it's but she was often poor me, and the world oh, is shitting on me, and all wow. of you treat me like shit, and mm-hmm. I'm just gonna leave. Fuck you all. Mm-hmm. She would tell me at, at 
eight years old oh that she was god. wanted out of her marriage and oh yeah we were all bastards and, oh my god and i would have to go console her yeah. oh that's what well yeah i had that same experience too well which yeah leads to um well bad that we're not talking more about you but i guess this is no <laughs> this is about you i was just feeling bad that i keep injecting oh, myself into funny. it let's celebrate that we're both feeling bad huh? okay let's meet in the middle about that <laughs> Self-hatred high five. Self-hatred high five. (laughs) We did it. Two borderline kids. Child of borderline. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, when I was nine, my dad actually had an affair. And we used to live um, in Westchester. And I went to school in the city in New York. And there was this, like, 45-minute drive in every day. And she found out one day, got in the car, started crying i'd never seen her cry like she was a tough person but finally like i had a purpose like she i was like i was her little therapist for the whole year it sounds like her shell cracked finally like oh there's a human being inside there that experiences something other than rage and control yes exactly yeah so and i and she really leaned on apparently i said very helpful thing <laughs> don't remember that but um and she did she used to say things to me like if we get divorced um you'll never see your father again he that's what he does he cuts off which is so ironic because that's what she does yeah. or did yeah and i really don't think he would have done that um and you know what the, and i that's how i know i believed my father loved me because that didn't actually scare me i was just like what he's not gonna do that um, so anyway, I relate to that. What do you remember thinking or feeling about your mom when she had that, that breakdown and how you felt about yourself? Well, I felt very worthwhile about myself. <laughs> and I actually wanted them to get divorced because um, I thought we could live in the city and I could have a fun life. <laughs> like, I wouldn't be alone so much. I'd go with my dad and his girlfriend. I guess he was with like a Oh, you girl. would want to live with your dad then? Well, I thought we could split up. Like I'd I be see. like a normal kid who has divorced parents. And, uh, <laughs> and it felt like somehow it wouldn't be as lonely or something. Um, yeah. And I don't Because he'd have to spend more time with you because of joint custody? Mm-hmm. And also, we'd be in the city. I just imagined us in the city. wouldn't be stuck in the... In the suburbs by myself. And I mean, she used to leave me alone a lot in that house. And he, I guess, I mean, he traveled to... I, I do not blame him, I guess, still, but... What was your relationship like with Cadbury, your butler? <laughs> you know, I'm making it sound much more rich than we were. <laughs> there was no butler. Um... Yeah, <laughs> but it was, uh, I, that's all I remember is wanting, really wanting them to get divorced. And then instead, my dad, I do remember her saying also, like, he, he would tell, she told me things that he told her that she did, does that make sense? Uh, and that were really mean. And I remember one time I said, why did you do that? And she just said, I don't know. And it actually brought them together, this affair, and they started talking more, and then we moved. That's pretty much why we moved to Palo Alto. He didn't want to stay in New York where the... Well, I was told at the time that he didn't get a promotion that he wanted, so he went into business for himself, but it was also because this woman was there. So, yeah. 
And that was a terrible move for me. Um, I moved from basically the city, even though I was in the suburbs, I was going to school in the city. I was left to my own devices in the mm -hmm. city and it was really fun. And then I was moved to the um, to Palo Alto. And at first we lived in Los Altos Hills, which was like the country country, which now I would love. But at the time I was like, oh, it was so awful. And total culture shock. The kids were all different. Uh, it was. I went from being very popular at school to being complete nerd. I mean, it was a nightmare, and no help at home. So, what's the next phase of of your story? Um, and and what were you struggling with other than the loneliness and the periods of feeling suicidal or expressing, you know, kind of retreating from. Um, well, as a kid or just either one, um, kid, adolescent, adult, give yeah. me, give me some snapshots from, because clearly how can this not affect somebody? Yeah. Well, I mean, I struggled a lot with feelings of worthlessness, obviously. Um, and I know that I don't have, um, clinical depression because I was able to snap out of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sort of like at some point I realized she wasn't going to admit that she loved me and of all weird things I read this book called um, live in the world and still be happy and I was like oh it's a choice okay <laughs> and then I just decided to not let her um, bother me that is so incredibly awesome and mature for a teenager to get to that place I mean there's adults wow. that are in their 40s and 50s and keep going to the well, myself included, that I just finally stopped going to the well and I can feel myself growing because yeah. I stopped going to the dry well and you were intuitive enough. Well, I don't know that I stopped going to the well then entirely. I mean... Um, but at least it sounds like you recognized that there wasn't a lot of water there. At that point, yeah. When I was at that low, I was like, well, this isn't any fun. <laughs> I think that was more like, it's like, I'm going to... It was just so obvious. Once I, you know what it was, once I realized I wasn't going to kill myself, I was, that's what it was. I was like, okay, well, if I'm not going to kill myself, I might as well be happy because, um, you know, why sit around depressed? That's it. Uh, so obviously it wasn't clinical. Yeah. But, and thank um, you for making that distinction because well, a lot of yeah. people beat themselves up because they think if they can just change their attitude, their clinical depression will go away. Yeah. And that's crazy that making. That is crazy making. And then they rule out meds. Ugh, yeah. No, meds. I was very, yeah. Um, but I did still, um, I went through a period where that worked. And then when I was around 21, I started to get depressed again because... I didn't realize my mother was the problem. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't realize that my problems were very much um, uh, birthed from her feelings about me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, we know what you mean. Okay. <laughs> well, so anyway. Why so, do you got to be so mean to your mom? <laughs> hmm. Mom uh, was mean to me. <laughs> End of interview. Yeah, goodbye. Um yeah, so that, anyway, so I started therapy at 21, and then it became this, this process of starting, stopping from going to her. That's really when it, my therapist was like, well, it sounds like she do, she only loves you conditionally. And I told her that, and she's like, what are you talking about? And I gave her an example, and she said, well, I guess I do. 
and hung up the phone and that actually destroyed me at the time. I was so sad. I mean, that was one of my realizations. Um, but it was a process. I don't mean to say that I stopped going to the well at 16 because that was not the case. Um, she continued to disappoint me. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, Her own little New York City uh, marathon. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I mean, like one thing I could think of is, um, this is my second marriage. I had been married before briefly and my uh, mom loved this guy because he was, he was a very nice guy. I just was not in love with him by the end. And, um, but he was very wealthy, great on paper. So my mom loved him. And, um, when I told her I was leaving him, she stopped talking to me for about six months maybe longer wow yeah and i was like how is this is my divorce this is not your divorce and she's like well it affects me oh my god yeah she just cut off for me and that's another way my dad came in my dad started calling me once a week because that's you know he never used to call me ever and you know so it's things like that as far as my dad's concerned but and then when she died i found all these pictures of my ex-husband with his new wife like because he there was like this what yeah what yes it was that was so crazy for me to see that was one uh, yeah she was a woman of many surprises because um he got married again we're still friends um and um his engagement was in the new york times so she had cut that out and made copies of it and then there was also a picture of me and him that she kept framed. My dad refuses to admit that he allowed this to happen, but my sister said that she had seen it there and like it was tucked in a drawer. Well, one of the other qualities of borderline personality disorder, I'm told, is that there's tremendous amounts of rumination about oh. things that they can't let go. Oh, that's interesting. They replay things over and over in their minds, and, and it kind of winds them up. Oh, wow. You have tr trouble letting things go. So yeah. that makes that makes sense. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. There were so many crazy elements. So how, how has this affected you other than a feeling of, of worthlessness? What what has been your the hurdles for you to overcome, and how have you begun to over overcome them? Um. Well, I think the biggest hurdle is um, feeling safe <laughs> in the world and feeling like I'm not being torn apart and picked apart. And Criticism really stings. Not even, yes, I don't like criticism. <laughs> I mean, who, I mean, who, criticism? Do, who doesn't? <laughs> yeah. But I think it affects some people more, more deeply than others. Yeah, it's more like even day-to-day -day interactions. I, It's weird. It's with, um, uh, I actually just started doing this thing called the Grinberg Technique, where they work with your body, like to get you centered in your One body. One of my guests, uh, Kulap uh, Vilaisak, uh, does okay. it. Okay, yeah, it's very helpful for me because um, I kind of, I left my body in a lot. I don't know if that makes any sense, but. Makes total okay, sense to yeah. me. I mean, I really was not in touch with my body at all. It was at all. I had no concern for it. And so it's been a process of like feeling safe enough to be grounded. And my first session with the Grimberg 
lady, she just, I guess they, they just like look at your feet. It's kind of odd. And then they can tell what's going on. And she just looked at my feet and she said, yeah, it's about safety for you. And it's just even like going to CVS or something. It's not, it's not with my close friends. It's with random people. I just feel like once I feel safe, it's like, okay, we're, I'm safe, but I'm just always kind of like... Is it you don't know what's going to happen? You're afraid they're going to attack you verbally, physically? It's not physically. It's And it's not even that I... I just feel like the sense of I'm going to be judged. It do, It's not logical because who the fuck cares? I mean, like the CVS lady's really going to, you know, do anything. But it's just a feeling of being like, you know, I have to brace myself for... Whatever is going to happen. You know, uh, Alan Rappaport um, wrote uh, this fucking amazing article uh, called Co-Narcissism. And one of the things that he said in treating, having many clients whose parents were real narcissists, as the children of narcissists grow up thinking that the world views them the way the narcissistic parent did. Yeah. But doesn't everybody do that? I mean, doesn't everybody look at... I think the world sees them the way their parents parent does. Do? Yeah. I don't know. Really? Yeah, well, I imagine. I mean, it's definitely harder when your parent <laughs> picked you apart. And, yeah. You know, yeah. So that's been a real, my um, my uh, biggest hurdle, I think, is, yeah. And as you got back into your body, what, what did you, how did that help you? And what did you think or feel? Um, it helps me because what happens is if I just feel it, then you can let it go. But if you're with, if you're holding against it, it amplifies it. So that's really what I've been working on is allowing myself to feel these feelings and then allowing myself to let it go. How would you leave your body? Would it be through fantasy? Um... I just, I kind of feel, and I do have this tendency still, I don't know if I'll be able to explain this, but it's kind of like I'm operating from the neck. <laughs> like, I just don't, it's like, it's just like kind of a tension. So you, um, you would intellectualize things and kind of go yes, numb? Go numb. Yes, yes, I did not have any sense of feelings for a long time. <laughs> Couldn't identify what you were feeling. Yes. Yeah. I was just like, everything was either weird or I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but even when I got in touch with my feelings, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just this feeling of bracing myself against the worst. I, I know that feeling, and it's like sometimes I feel like outside of my lazy boy, even to go to my office sometimes just feels like I'm jumping into cold water. Yeah, that's like, amazing. I, I don't want to leave... It's like I create cocoons that mm -hmm. I don't want to leave bed or my recliner or something else. Yeah. Um, since having kids, everything's kind of gotten better, too. It's sort of like I kind of can't be in my own space. So, um, I mean, it's not about me, which has helped that. But I definitely feel safest at home. It just feels like nice to be at home. What are the ways that you feel you lack as a mom that you that set off 
alarm bells for you because I know every parent, almost every parent, at least that's healthy, <laughs> goes, oh my God, I'm failing in this. At The good ones, right. I think, I mean, have that kind of self-reflection. Right. What are the moments that, that make you go, oh my God? Well, it, what's most challenging for me is when I get angry with especially my daughter who is um, very tough and has no sense of um, fear of authority. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and it's interesting the nature versus nurture thing because she just like came out like that. I mean, yeah. So I tried putting her head in a vice. (laughs) Doesn't work. (laughs) I've actually said to my husband, like when she was little, I was like, how are we going to break her? Because she like, (laughs) there's like, I mean, no, it's like, fuck you. She doesn't say that, but she'll just look at us like, what are you going to do about it? Like, and we do discipline her. Like she has consequences. She has consequences. Doesn't fucking care. Wow. That's gotta be so difficult. Oh my God. (laughs) It's very difficult. She's also amazing. You know, obviously, I think she's amazing. She's very smart, blah, blah, blah. But, oh, my God. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I just said about my daughter. Thank you. <laughs> Why do I fail as a mother? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, my God. But it does scare me because um, I don't want to be anything like my mother, who was so cold. And I don't, um, probably another problem I have is I don't really experience anger. Except with my daughter, when she comes up again, I mean, she pushes us, you know. Um, so it's very hard for me to be like, okay. I mean, I keep my calm. If you ask anyone around me, that I think they would say that. But it's just like when I have thoughts, like that's what scares me when I have thoughts. Because like the other day, my son and my daughter were in the car they were fighting and they don't fight very often so when they do it just makes me crazy (laughs) just like fighting 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 i was driving and i was like i understand how that lady just drove her kids into the water (laughs) i was like how does this stop where do i sweet (laughs) relief exactly where do i let these kids off but uh, <laughs> oh, the quiet of the bottom of a lake. Exactly, <laughs> solitude. Exactly, pure, pure solitude. I mean, it is sad though that lady. I mean, she probably didn't have a wonderfully supportive husband like I do. I mean, if I didn't have that at those times, it's it's hard. So that's where I fail, wanting to drive my kids into an ocean. <laughs> um, but actually, reading those diaries made me feel better because it's like, yeah, there. at least I have, you know, remorse when I do think those, or at least an acknowledgement. It's not, you know, a real feeling that I really do want to drive these kids into the water. And, you know, getting back to your, mom, your mom's diary, I think what a, what a great example of how deeply we want to be validated as kids no matter where it comes from and you know for you it <sighs> it took you being 42 years old and reading it to feel that final validation of yes. my feelings are not wrong yes and i feel sad for people who don't get that i mean i was so lucky in a way it was a huge gift um that she left me because um 
I mean, people would say to me, like, oh, that must, when I would read them excerpts, they were like, oh, my God, you must feel terrible. I was like, no, 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 you don't get it. <laughs> I experienced that already. Exactly, that felt terrible. Exactly. But to lie to me and say, you know, oh, but she didn't really feel those things, um, even though she showed it. Still, as a kid, you don't want to really believe your you know, mother doesn't love you. And I think also one of my challenges is um, relationships with women, friendships. I get, if anything gets off, like if there is an argument or something, I get very triggered and feel like they're not, I'm never going to speak to them. I get like a little kid again, like, you know, oh, I have to get them to like me. And, you know, I don't act on it anymore. But that feeling still comes up, and it's very hard not to be judgmental of it. Um, I was going to say something else I don't remember. Anyway, yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on before we uh, do some fears and loves? Um, oh, well, I do want to say one more thing. I don't know if this is just another indication of how crazy it was. was um I never, part of why I feel this fear in the world is I never knew where anything stood. And my mother, we were raised Christian and I found out like later that we were actually Jewish <laughs> and my mother was an Orthodox Jew actually. And um, so it was, was raised Orthodox. was raised Orthodox. And it was this whole other side of my culture when I finally like get around other for the first when I was it maybe again this is me being stupid but I didn't realize like being Jewish is like you know part of your ethnicity almost and when I was 21 I met a bunch of people that went to Brandeis and I was around all these other Jews and I was like oh, I'm Jewish <laughs> like it like clicked in me so it was just kind of another way she sort of took me away from my was your father roots. Jewish as well yeah he's Jew but he's an atheist and did you know he was Jewish growing up? I mean, that's the thing. Like, I didn't really know either of them were. <clears throat> My aunt told me at one point, she's like, you know, you're Jewish. Like, I mean, they were like New York Jews. I mean, real, yeah. like, like, almost character. Um, uh, what is that word? Caricatures. Thank you. Of uh, of Jews. But, um, but... As a kid, you I thought it was like just another religion, you know. Okay, well, I'm going. She picked me up from church school. She was very upset that I yeah, I was baptized. I mean, the whole thing. Um, and I was like, no, I'm not. I mom's not. She's like, your mother's Jewish. We're all Jewish. <laughs> I was like, well, no, she wants. To, this is what she. I didn't realize it was you know part kind of part of who you are. So your aunt than, told you. My aunt told me, and but it didn't click that it was you know that's what I'm saying. It didn't click that it was an ethnicity almost like. That, you know, it was more than just like... Uh, yeah, a religion. You know, yeah, than a religion. And did you confront your mom or dad about it? Well, at the time I was only, I think actually I was only like nine or ten. It didn't, I was like, it didn't mean anything to me. I see. So you kind of brushed it out of your mind until... Mm -hmm, until I met these other Jews and felt happy. Um, but then again, the other crazy thing is my mom then sort of abandoned everything and... Um, uh, was an atheist along with my dad for a while. And when she died, my sister said, well, I'm just happy she's with, I know she's with Jesus now because my sister's a born-again Christian. And I was like, huh? She's like, she started going to church for the last year and a half of her life. And I was like, 
for some reason that was like the first biggest blow to me it felt like another betrayal for some reason it was just like i don't know that she was hiding a secret it was just the first of many secrets i'd later find out but anyway that was the last thing well, let's go to let's okay. go to some fears and uh, and loves. Let me tell you something. Yeah, the, I think the biggest fear in these fears and love offs is sharing these fears. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's like yeah, I don't know why it makes me feel more exposed than the just my story. Uh, I'm going to be reading the fears of a guy from the forum. Great guy, uh, who calls himself Soundwave Surfer, and okay. his first fear is. Uh, becoming a disheveled schizophrenic derelict who is mm-hmm. actively engaged with an imaginary audience on the sidewalk and in public restrooms. Oh, that's a good one. Those are better than mine. Okay, <laughs> I can tell already. I'm afraid everyone I know will turn against me. Uh, f- becoming a roadside beggar with nothing more than a scapegoat excuse and a cardboard sign reading, Anything helps, God bless. <laughs> Those are very detailed. Um... I'm afraid of my kids getting very sick and dying. Uh, Walking under trees in the dead of night. Mm -hmm. Uh, People who, I'm afraid people who I think like or love me secretly are mad at me and will abandon me. Uh, Superstitions like black cats and an even more ridiculous one that I made up, which is not ripping the toilet paper perfectly along the perforated dots is a bad omen. (laughs) That's a great one. You have two black cats. They're great. Um, I'm afraid what I think is an amazing relationship with my husband, I'll find out, has all been a lie, and I've been wrong to trust him. Uh, extended lengths of eye contact with others when I'm feeling depressed and or anxious. Oh, my God, do I relate to that one. Mm, that's sad. Um, I'm afraid of showing who I really am to people I don't know very well. Being seen as less than. I'll never find a community of people who I really feel at home with. Being a lonely old man sitting alone on a park bench who can't help, uh, who can't stop fantasizing and obsessing over all the women and girls who pass by while I wait endlessly for my one true love to sit down beside me, digressing sadder and more obsessive every day until I eventually die. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Not specific enough. Not specific enough. He's really making me look bad. Um, I will, I'm afraid I will age horribly and my husband will have to live with a really unattractive person. (laughs) Uh, I fear the self-fulfilling prophecies of my own worst enemy. Mm. I'm afraid of dying before my kids are in their mid twenties. Uh, and that was his last one. Do you have any other ones you want to, uh. I'm afraid that all my cats will escape. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, a, a nightmare last night. It's so bizarre that I looked up and somehow I could see through our roof, but there was there was a gorilla oh climbing a tree above our house. And I was like, wow, if that falls, it's going to come right through the roof. And it did. <gasps> and then I was trying to get it out of the house and all the dogs got loose. Wow. Yeah. Bizarre. Bizarre. I feel like that really means something. I wish I could analyze it for you. Uh, Let's go to loves. Okay. Uh, I'm going to be reading his loves as well. And he says, I love when my son says, you're awesome to me. I love being able to tell my husband anything and knowing he doesn't judge me. I love runs in the foothills while I listen to this podcast, then stopping at the top to rest while overlooking the city. Oh, that's sweet. I love the feeling in the afternoon of knowing I don't have anything to do that night except hang out with my husband. I love when I know I'm dreaming. Oh, I love that too. (laughs) 
um, I love getting into bed knowing I can sleep. <laughs> oh, that's good. I actually set my alarm two hours before I have to get up so I can enjoy snoozing, uh, uh, you know, hitting, hitting the snooze button and go, oh, I don't have to get up yet. <laughs> that might drive me crazy, though. Uh, I love picking up my phone after being away from it all day and seeing a list uh, of unanswered texts. Um, that causes me panic, actually. Yeah, me too. Uh, I love it when my son explains something to me at full volume excitedly with only the enthusiasm a kid can. <laughs> That's a beautiful one. <laughs> I love music and all forms of creative expression and performing arts. I love hearing I love you, Mama, for no reason at all. That's got to feel great. That's oh, the best. I love being able to help someone through whatever it is they're going through simply by listening. I mm. love that. Uh, I love watching my kids sleep. I love living an honest life and being able to read like an open book. Mm. I love waking up and smelling pancakes cooking. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. I love when the left turn light says stays green longer than usual and I make it through. Um, I love knowing I'm about to share a book or movie or TV show with my kids that I know they're going to love. Uh, I love those activities that give a sense of purpose and calling, soul endeavors. Mm. I feel like most of mine are sleep-centered. Um, <laughs> I love getting into bed and having all the cats curled up with me. I love that. I love when my dogs come up on the bed. <laughs> um, and we just gave our little guy, we finally got him groomed, and he's part chihuahua. And when their hair is short, <laughs> I cannot, all, all my wife and I do, literally every second is just talk about how we just want to eat his face. <laughs> It, oh, How it's many dogs do you have? just two, oh, okay. just two. But oh, they're so fucking funny. They're Aww. just their personalities are so distinct. What's the other one? Uh, they're both rescue mutts mm -hmm. um, mixes. But she looks like a fox. She she's part oh. Sheltie, oh my um, part uh, long haired dachshund. We have a pit mix. Too. Yeah, and seven cats. Maybe I <laughs> seven. Admit that. Yeah, we do cat rescue, so uh, we end up with cats. <laughs> uh, his last love is I love how my love list is more fluid than my fears list mm, that's what I said before we started this um, I love being in Topanga Canyon and the feeling of serenity I feel there any other ones it. I think I, oh well, I love watching my dog play with his friends <laughs> Natasha thank you so much for coming by and sharing your life with oh, us oh thank you appreciate it thank you oh, keep that in mind when you're uh when you're writing your diary. Um, thank you for that, Natasha. Um, before I take it out with some surveys, I want to remind you guys there's a couple of different ways to support the show. If you go to the website, mentalpod.com. Mentalpod is also the Twitter name you can, you can follow me at. Um, you can support the show a couple of different ways. You can support it financially by um, going to the website and making a one-time PayPal donation. Or my favorite doing a recurring monthly donation for as little as five bucks a month and it means the world to me it helps um it helps uh, provide a financial platform uh to keep the the podcast running and um i really really appreciate it you can also support us by shopping at amazon through our search portal on our uh, homepage, right hand side about halfway down not to be confused with the search box for the website itself our website itself and I'm told that Firefox, if you're using that browser, it won't show up. Um, you can support us also by uh, going to iTunes, writing something nice and giving us a good rating or spreading the word through social media. 
All right, let's get to it. This is from the Shame and Secret survey, um, filled out by a woman who calls herself Tracy 500. She is straight. She's in her 50s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused. Um, I don't know why she puts this in the sexual abuse category, um, but she writes, I'm ashamed that I snoop online in my boyfriend's ex-wife's business. I look for anything I can find on her, and I hate that I care enough to do it. I hate her, and I don't understand why I persist in looking on her social media pages and other places. Um, Ever been physically or emotionally abused? Been emotionally abused. My ex-husband emotionally abused me through the silent treatment, contemptuous looks, and always telling me how I could be doing things better. He claimed he was trying to be helpful. He also would look away when I was telling him about things or say, I'm sorry, what? In the middle of a story. So I felt like I was boring him. When I realized that it was emotional abuse, I confronted him and we got into therapy. He cut back considerably, but he couldn't quit completely, so I left him. I'm so much happier now. The biggest remnant is that because I fear that my listener will be bored, I shorten my I shorten any story I tell so much that sometimes my listener is confused. Any positive experiences with your abusers? My ex-husband is was very generous with money and very good socially. It doesn't really complicate my feelings towards him. I just think he's an abusive prick with some good qualities. Uh, deepest, darkest thoughts? Uh, I think about ways I could annihilate my boyfriend's ex-wife. Not like killing her or anything, but using things that I know about her to emotionally destroy her. Darkest secrets. I think of myself as a health food nut, but when I gorge on potato chips and chocolate chips, I feel weak because I can't control my eating sometimes. I recognize that it's emotionally driven, but I can't stop. Um, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Being watched while my boyfriend and I are having sex. I would be so embarrassed if anyone found out I shared that. Well, by the way, that's one of the most common fantasies that people have. Uh, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone? Um, well, at least that was shared by me, um, by the people I was fucking in front of. Uh, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone that you haven't been able to? I would like to tell my boyfriend's ex-wife that she's a disgusting, despicable excuse for a human being. Even though I've never said or done anything to her, I've done plenty of things behind the scenes so that the truth about her would come out. I would like her to know that because she involved me by saying nasty things about me, made veiled threats to my children, and tried to publicly humiliate me via social media, I retaliated without ever saying a word to her. I just kept exposing the truth until everyone could see how crazy she is. I want to tell her that she shouldn't fuck with me because I'm a hundred times smarter and a hundred times more educated than she is. The dumbest thing she ever did was to involve me in all her crap. She had no idea what she unleashed. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish that she would die, and I'm completely ashamed for saying that. Having her go into the witness protection program would be enough for me. I would like her to be out of my life completely. Have you shared these things with others? I've shared that I would like her to go into the witness protection program, but not that I'd like to see her die. How do you feel after writing these things down? More ashamed because it makes it seem more real. I can't believe that I have such awful thoughts. I thought I was more compassionate than that. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? If someone shared my thoughts, I would tell them that it's perfectly normal to want your tormentor dead. I can't seem to listen to my own words. Thank you for sharing that. And, um, you know, fuck, I, you know, when somebody 
humiliates me or disrespects me sometimes, I can either completely let it go or I just ruminate about it. So you're not alone. You're not alone in that. Um, I would imagine especially when it comes to your kids, somebody fucking with your kids. And All right. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Coconuts. She is um, pansexual in her 20s, raised in a totally chaotic environment. Um was the victim of sexual abuse and reported it. Uh, I've been sexually abused many times in many ways by many different people in my life, but I had never heard of covert incest prior to listening to the podcast. Hearing so many stories and the validation of this type of behavior as real abuse made me realize that my father was covertly incestuous. He had what kids in high school would call a staring problem. From the moment I began to develop, which was sooner than my older sister, I felt a huge change in the way he looked at me. It went from seeing me to gazing, leering, drinking me in, as you've said so many times. When I would open my bedroom door and he would be sitting on the couch watching TV, he would redirect his attention to me and stare as I crossed the room. If I was doing dishes and he was sitting at the kitchen table, I could feel his eyes directly on my ass. He would do the same thing to my sister and it would get worse if he had been drinking. It, um, if my sister and I would tell him to stop staring, he would fly into a rage, not denying that he was, uh, that he was, but claiming a right to do so. He would get furious at us and start a screaming match about how he was entitled to look at us and talk to us the way he pleased because he was our father. Oh, that makes me sick to my stomach. Um... Any positive experiences with your abuser? Yes and yes. Um, oh, well, the, the, the two questions are, any positive experiences with the abuser and does that complicate your feelings about them? Uh, yes and yes. Trying to resolve those positive aspects of people who abused me is just part of the ongoing process of forgiveness, I think. I would heartily agree with that. Uh, darkest thoughts. I am less ashamed of the things I think about these days thanks to a really good therapist and some really great friends. I can't help the things that flow through my head. I don't like all the things that flow through it, but hating myself for them helps exactly nothing. And give you a big high five on that one. Uh, darkest secrets? Not right now. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Young girls being dominated by an older man in a position of power. Being deceived, tricked, trapped, punished. Also, older women with younger women in loving, tender, deflowering experiences. Sharing that makes me feel like Freudian thinkers would have a field day with me. Uh, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone that you haven't been able to? To my father, I love you, but you can seriously go fuck yourself. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish that I would stop having dreams about my father. I've often had recurring dreams about certain individuals in the past, people I was not in touch with at the time or had fallen out with. Those dreams stopped as soon as I spoke to them again. I know communicating with my father is not a safe option for me, but I hate going to sleep because he appears in my dreams so often. I wish I could make this process go faster and not let him have this power over me anymore. That's the first time I've even admitted this stuff to myself. And she writes that she feels a little bit lighter after that. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Just a quote I keep on my wall. Being upset is a side effect of giving a fuck. That's great. Thank you for that. Um, this is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Winnie Deer. 
And she writes, uh, and she's in her 30s, I'm coming up on my first year of sobriety on April 16th. Uh, congratulations in advance. About a year ago, I was a complete mess, at least on the inside. On the outside, I might have appeared okay. 38-year-old mom of two small kids, successful professional with a great husband, great house, etc. But I would characterize my insides by saying I looked like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. I'd been abusing painkillers and alcohol for about two years, and it had gotten worse and worse and worse. To say my life was unmanageable is the understatement of the year. I had hidden it pretty well by doing most of my indulging at night after everyone was in bed, but it started seeping into the other parts of the day. As I heard Robin Williams say once, I was violating my standards faster than I could lower them. Things were going nowhere fast, so I asked for help. My wonderful, supportive, shell-shocked husband took me to the hospital for detox. Uh, After I was getting back to work, uh, after uh, I was getting back to work, After my husband told them I had had a kidney infection, which is why I was out of work. He had consulted his sister, a doctor, to come up with this ailment as a reasonable excuse for being out sick for two weeks. It was a little hiccup in the new always honest routine. I gave myself a pass on that to protect my professional reputation and our family's livelihood. Unfortunately, when I got back in the office, I was forced to answer a series of questions about my illness most of which I don't think I answered very well. And when I googled kidney infection, I realized I was essentially telling my office I was sick for failure to wipe front to back. <laughs> that is awful-some. This is from the, shame, or the uh, Shouldn't Feel This Way survey filled out by uh, a woman who calls herself Marnie, and she is in her 20s. Um, She writes, I'm supposed to feel good about positive attention, but I don't. I feel guilty. I've been this way for fucking ages, too. I've entirely given up on trying to have a relationship. The moment guys seem interested, I'm swamped with a feeling of guilt as though I've tricked them into being attracted to me, as though I don't have a right to waste their time by attempting a connection with them. I end up panicking, and it's always easier to avoid them until they've lost interest than fighting through the anxiety. Friendship advances terrify me because I feel like I'll let the person down in the end. Compliments and compliments are humiliating and being hired at a new job is just the worst. The thing is, I know I look good on paper. I've been told I come across as intelligent, talented, attractive, kind, if also shy and a bit brittle. But I think I'm always going to feel like a complete fraud and that people have only got those impressions of me because I compulsively hide so much of my real personality. Despite all this, I keep dreaming of the life changes I could make or the creative endeavor I could complete that will finally make me feel comfortable with myself and my right to be a part of other people's lives. I know it's not going to happen until I change my thinking, but I can't stop fantasizing. You know, this one really struck me because fantasy is such such an alluring, blunt coping mechanism for not wanting to be in our body and feel our feelings. And I struggle with that all the time. I have such trouble being present. And um, how do you feel writing that out? Uh, Again, pretty pathetic. Also conceited because I implied that people generally have a high opinion of me, and that's probably not really true. Do you think you're abnormal for feeling what you do? I really do. Obviously, there's 
a not insubstantial percentage of the population who feels the same way, especially with regards to taking compliments. But most people don't. Even other people with depression and self-esteem are capable of being in relationships and asking for help from other people. I can't even bring myself to ask my mom for favors. Like I said, I don't even feel properly human a lot of the time because people are social animals and we're supposed to feel comforted and safe around other humans we love. Would knowing other people feel the same way make you feel better about yourself? God, yes. Well, it's a really, really, really common thing, that disconnection that we can't quite put our fingers on. And that's why therapy is so fucking awesome, because it helps get that ball rolling. Therapy and support groups, Paul said from his soapbox. This is from the What Has Helped You survey. This is filled out by Soylent Green, and she's in her 30s, and her issues are generalized in social anxiety and depression. What's helped you deal with them? Deep breathing, facing, facing anxious... Sis- what if I stopped the, started the whole podcast over because of that? Deep breathing. Actually went back and erased all of them and started a first episode again because it was that big of a fuck up. What has helped you deal with them? Deep breathing, facing anxious situations and not dying. Every day, multiple times a day, I psych myself up, tell myself it's going to be okay. I've made it through every day so far, so chances are good that I can do it again. I love that. Same survey, filled out by a guy who calls himself Groove. He's in his 20s. Um, His issues, depression, anxiety, OCD, trichotillomania, coming to terms with identifying as as asexual and gender queer. What's helped you deal with him? Therapy. Uh, And he puts in parentheses, no, seriously, it works. Comedy, listening to albums by David Bowie, particularly Aladdin, Sane, Low, and Heroes. Uh, Scott Walker, this podcast, drinking green tea instead of coffee. Thank you for that, Scott. Oh, I'm sorry, not Scott. Scott Scott was one of the guys he listens to. Groof. Thank you, Groof. This is from the Body Shame Survey. Uh, This is filled out by a guy who calls himself Aspiring Vegan Bodybuilder. Um... I'm a skinny 27-year-old man. It feels hard to even write man because I feel like a child. I wish I were the biggest, most muscular guy in the gym. I feel like a little kid among mature and strong men in the gym. Thank you for that. This is also from the Body Shame Survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Birdie Blue 2. And she's in her 20s and she writes, what do, you, what do you like or dislike about your body? Almost everything. My acne makes me feel the most undesirable. I feel like everyone who looks at me notices it and it and is grossed out by it. I feel self-conscious about any fat I have on my body. I don't like to wear tight clothing because I can feel it hugging the fat on my body. Sending you a hug. This is from the uh, first day in therapy survey. This is filled out by um, a 26... 20- A woman who's between 26 and 35. What brought you to therapy? I have borderline personality disorder, bipolar disorder, and general anxiety. I won't stay on medication if I don't have have talk therapy going along with it. Any fears associated with starting therapy? I need to come across as pleasant and friendly and likable to everyone I meet, so I have trouble opening up. Also, as my ex-husband said on the way to my most recent appointment with someone new... Don't hate him immediately just because he has a mustache or pronounces mature weirdly or doesn't know what Tumblr is. I often uh, times write people off for bizarre reasons, especially when in a high-stress situation. Um, 
in parentheses, having to talk about my emotions. Uh, the fears you described, did any come true? Not really. I immediately disliked this woman for what I felt were very legitimate reasons, so I didn't feel the need to make her like me quite as much. Um, what's worked best for you in therapy? Really nothing this woman did helped me. In better situations, a place to be emotionally open has helped. What were your initial impressions of your therapist? Knowing that I had my um, bachelor's in social work, um, after telling me, after telling her that my ex-husband, whom I live with and am close to, has Asperger's, she said, oh, as a social worker, you can help him through that. Those are just social behaviors that can be overcome through practice. First, I don't think it's up to me to cure my ex's emotional problems when I'm facing so many of my own issues. Second, I'm sorry, when did I become the cure to autism? She said a lot of other problematic things and visibly recoiled when hearing about my drug and sexual history. Overall, she was kind of a bitch. Um, do you feel you can be completely honest with your therapist? This woman is obviously never going to fix what she's done. I just canceled my next appointment. Unfortunately, I have been 302'd since then. I'm not sure what that means. And have had a really t hard time as I'm trying to find a new therapist. I wish she would have not been so horrible. Anything you'd like to share with a group of new therapists? Don't give insane advice about curing autism. Don't tell clients to fix other, fix other people's problems. Don't be a cunt like this thin-lipped white bitch. Sorry, I have a bit of rage over how she treated me. Also, keep your fucking faces to yourselves. You are in the world of therapy. Get the fuck out if you're going to visibly judge people. I love, too, that I had just read a survey by somebody who asked, asked me to ease off on the F-bombs, which is followed immediately by an episode setting records for saying the word fuck. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by a guy who calls himself Roasted Vegetables, and he writes, I have ADD. It's been a crazy journey. I'm a gay guy and fell in love with another guy. We lived opposite a locally famous pub in England. One day I went to the market and bought loads of nice veg to roast before my partner got home. Whilst preparing the veg, I thought it would be interesting to put a courgette to one side. Uh, I, th I think a courgette, I think that might be a cucumber, to one side and put my chopped up olive oil and herby veg in the oven to roast. I fucking love the English. Um, in the oven to roast for 50 minutes. In the meantime... I got the courgette, put a condom and lube on it, and started to anally penetrate and jerk off in the downstairs bedroom. Just as I was about to come, I'd realized the curtain was open and the landlady and landlord were watching me in amazement. I ran embarrassed into the toilet with my courgette. I wanted to vanish forever. I had the guts to go into the pub and they just winked at me every time. I like that it's our secret. Um, oh, like it's our secret. I find it funny now, but at the time, it was the worst thing ever. You sound like a really strong person to be able to uh, see that that's just you being human. That's a part of that's a part of life. Um, this is from the What Has Helped You survey, filled out by a woman who calls herself Ninety Nine or no Gigi. Um, issues. Uh, procrastination, addiction, narcolepsy, ADD, perfectionism. What's helped you? Positive affirmations, mindful meditation, diagnosis, medication, nutrition. All of that is just to cope. Laugh out loud. I'm not better yet. Thank you for that. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman in her 50s who calls herself Mental Floss. 
and her awfulsome moment, I was anxious to get home after a long car ride. At the time, I was driving down a beautiful, normally empty street of farmed field, farm fields and woods not far from where I live. This day, there was a car parked at the edge of a field, and a couple was standing with their backs to the road. This seemed odd, and I looked over at them as I sped by. There was a have-a-heart trap at their feet. That's a, apparently a trap that you use to humanely... Um, trap animals so then you can release them uh, and their heads were tracking in unison to the left what i didn't notice in time was the squirrel that came streaking into the road let me stop here to say i have always been a huge animal lover i love them all as i ran over that poor squirrel with three of my four tires a string of emotions swept over me i was instantly struck with grief and sadness this gave way to a sinking feeling as I silently chided myself for driving so quickly. A moment later, I was filled with rage at the couple for thoughtlessly releasing the squirrel into an empty field that had no cover, instead of into the lush woods on the other side of the road. What fucking idiots. I glanced into my rearview mirror, saw their awestruck faces, and that is when I began to laugh. They had gone through all the trouble of trapping this poor animal and driving it out into the country, only to have me speed up and run over it right in front of their eyes. Seven years later, it still makes me laugh as I wrote that last sentence. Truly awfulsome. Thank you for sharing that. I, I hate to laugh at an animal getting getting hit, but the rest of that, I guess that well, that's what makes it awfulsome. Um, I have an awfulsome moment. It's uh, I hit a rabbit while driving a rabbit, a Volkswagen rabbit one time. And uh, I felt horrible at the at the time, but afterwards, um, I was I was able to go. Uh, it's kind of a, ironically funny. This is. I'm gonna skip that one. I'm gonna skip that one. Nah, I'm gonna read both of these. This is from the uh, first day in therapy, filled out by a. And it's not because these aren't good uh, surveys. It's just because my throat's starting to get tired. Um, because I got a cucumber in my ass. This is filled out by a guy who's between 26 and 35. He, what brought you to therapy? I have a little bit of everything: anxiety, anger issues, depression, sexual problems, uh, performance issues, and getting turned on by underage girls, substance abuse, insecurities, ruminations, two turntables, and a microphone. Uh, any fears associated with starting therapy? That my therapist will be over religious, overly religious, or a bitch that they would sign me up for Megan's Law. And then in parentheses, he, he puts the worst social networking site. Did any of your fears come true? My second therapist had a religious theme to her waiting room. She also asked me not to swear. I sent her an email informing her of why I left at the suggestion of my best friend. He's always right. What works best for you in therapy? Knowing I can be myself completely uh, and judgmentally. Um... Not being allowed to swear is a big problem, so I made sure to check with my third and newest therapist. I will start trying coping skills out with my therapist and using emotional first aid. Speaking of, I would love a therapist that knew of the mental illness happy hour. Well, I get a lot of emails from uh, therapists and social workers who listen to the show. Um, I'm not sure how to connect you with them, but certainly if you're in Boston, contact uh, Susan Hagen. Um... Initial impressions of your therapist, I assumed she would have some Eastern European accent and not work well with me. After half a session of what seemed like a general intake, um, except she typed her notes into a prepared Word document, 
uh, one that had all the basic fields. I wanted to ask her, is this going to be an ongoing thing? I could just smoke a bowl and fill this out myself. I didn't say that. I answered the question and was happy to see she didn't type as much by the end. I am always trying to be funny to some degree. So when I try a joke that fails to get a laugh, I regret making a joke and having to answer the what do you mean by that question slash look that always follows. Uh, Do you feel you can be completely honest with your therapist? Yes. I don't see the point in lying to them. Plus, it's a lot of fun to throw a list of issues at them and see their reactions. Anything you'd like to share with a group of therapists? Type your notes and thoughts later on in a way that doesn't take time away from our session. When the appointment is for 3 p.m., don't keep me waiting till 3.07. It's rude. Thank you for that. Um, This is from the What Has Helped You. Filled out by a woman who calls herself Perigee. She's in her 30s. Issues, depression, anxiety, panic disorder, complex PTSD. What's helped? Radical acceptance through a study of Taoism, meditation, very vigorous exercise, uh, in parentheses, getting sweaty and exhausted almost every day, scheduling time with friends to prevent myself from emotional anorexia, and not agreeing to too many commitments at any time. That sounds like an uh, awesome um, regimen of things like you're really hitting it on and all uh, all cylinders. The bad thing about doing the awful some uh, moment surveys is now I begin to confuse awful and awesome. Um, this is filled out by Jess. This is an awful some moment. Uh, and she writes, my grandmother was admitted to the hospital yesterday for pneumonia. When the nurse was taking her medical history, one of the questions she asked was if she wanted to be resuscitated if her heart stopped. She told the nurse yes. We asked her if she understood what she said yes to because her living will says the opposite. She responded in an exasperated tone, well, I don't want to just go away. I want to say goodbye to everybody. Everyone in the room burst out laughing. The nurse looked at us and said, well, I guess you'll need to update the living will. Um, This is also also an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself hiking alone. She writes, after a four-hour drive, I walked into my brother's house uh, for our family Thanksgiving. My mother looked up and said, oh, Holly, you're showing. I knew what she really meant was, you're so damn fat, you look pregnant. Mom always had something to say about my weight. I thought to myself, how does one respond to a statement like that? And I said, bite my ass, Mom. She said, oh, see how she talks to me? Holding the back of her hand dramatically to her forehead. My brother said, Mom, you totally deserved that. It was one of the few times I ever stood up to her. Wow, your mom sounds like a fucking treat. Um, and finally, this is uh, an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Ms. Spock. She writes, three years into an abusive relationship, emotionally, physically, and sexually, uh, with an alcoholic former professor, I finally had enough insight and the smallest amount of courage and self-respect to say, I need out. Of course, having come to the realization through both professional and family support, I had to figure out how to do and how to do it, and I had no idea. I was terrified. So my amazing family stepped in. I have three sisters, and they all came with to a neutral location that we chose, a rose garden. Of course, it was beautiful. All the roses were blooming. The air was thick and sweet. It was a horrible contrast to the misery I was feeling. One sister, the driver, stayed in the car nearby with the car running, and the other two hid themselves in the bushes around where I was going to meet him on a bench, just in case he tried anything. 
Facing this man, this horrible monster that tore me apart, body and soul, took all my strength I had left, and after I handed over the diamond ring and a Ziploc bag, I got up and turned my back on him and started walking. I knew I wouldn't have been able to do it without knowing that they were there to protect me. As I walked back to the car, not looking back, terrified he would run after me, the tears started and I collapsed into the car. My sisters had all made it back to the car and we started to drive away. Of course, through the tears, I saw his car following us. One of my sisters pushed me down and held me in her lap as I sobbed and my other sister sped the car away in the kind of trick driving I never knew she was capable uh, capable of. All I could hear was brakes squealing and I, and we lost track of even where we were. We lost him somehow. It was one of the hardest things I had to do, yet I can't think of another moment that shows such unconditional sisterly love. I didn't ask them to help. They saw something that needed to be done, lent me their strength, and protected me without any words, without a thank you needed. What a beautiful, 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 awfulsome moment. I'd say that's more of a beautiful moment than an awfulsome moment, but um, yeah, I guess there's some awfulsome to it. Oh my God. Break it down more, Paul. Why don't you? And how appropriate that I end on a moment of perfectionist angst. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, today's episode. And um, I hope you know that you're not alone out there and that there's help if you're willing to get out of your comfort zone and ask for help. You know, your comfort zone can sometimes be the worst thing um, for you. And by comfort zone, I mean your day-to-day routine of you know, not taking emotional chances in, t- in terms of reaching out and expressing how you're feeling to to appropriate people um anyway i want to thank you guys for helping build oh my god i'm rubbing my fucking nipples what is my problem arms back just going at it <laughs> i'm so glad this isn't a video show i'm gonna have to bring this up to my therapist on monday anyway You are not alone. And thank you for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.